0: This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. Law enforcement was trained to set up a perimeter, block off everything on the outside and kind of wait it out. But they realized when they did that in Columbine, people were being killed while the cops were standing outside.
1: Gun violence affecting schools is of great concern.
2: Let's not forget that schools are a safe place for students.
1: But solutions are not easy to find.
0: We don't talk in detail about our protocol, but what I'll tell you is we train at all the facilities. When the, when the students are away from BV, we have live active shooter trainings there.
1: Under the Gun, a report prepared by college students is our topic this week.
3: The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein.
1: With every report of a school shooting, there's a renewed call to do something. That something is probably some things, but the conversation continues. Young people have been increasing the volume of their voices for reasons that should be obvious. Three students at Buena Vista University at Storm Lake, working with faculty member Andrea Franz, prepared a report that aired on KBVU radio from campus recently. We share portions of it with you this week. It was prepared by Sarah Nicholson, Kimberly Diaz, and Dee Friesen, who speaks next.
4: On March 14, 2018, a small group of Buena Vista University students and teachers walked out of their 10 a.m. classes to pay tribute to the victims of the Parkland, Florida school shooting. It's cold as professors step up to the microphone. The overcast morning seems to reflect the mood of those gathered. Schools all across the nation held walkouts in honor of the victims.
0: We're ed majors, so this is kind of an important thing for us. This is going to be our future, working in uh, community school buildings, so understanding how school shootings impact our students and ourselves as educators.
4: There's a lot of distance between Florida and Iowa, but when it comes to tragedies like school shootings, we all seem to agree the distance isn't as nearly as far apart as we think. In the weeks since Parkland, the national debate about gun violence has amplified and people have proposed a number of potential solutions, from better gun control laws to better health reform, and perhaps the most controversial suggestion coming from President Trump himself, suggesting that arming teachers is the best way to save lives. Once the shootings happen, it becomes a blame game. But should it? our research suggests that perhaps the most effective way to address school shootings is by pooling our resources rather than drawing dividing lines based on agenda. In an effort to unravel some of the complicated components that surround a school shooting, we decided to talk with the professionals in the crosshairs of these national conversations. Mark Prosser is a Storm Lake police chief. With almost 40 years of experience in the field of law enforcement, he has seen the evolution of investigation in terms of active shooter situations. Storm Lake, Iowa is a small community. Its public school is made up of approximately 2,500 students. The public safety office and police headquarters sits directly across from the public high school, putting school issues literally in Prosser's backyard.
0: We don't talk in detail about our protocol, but what I'll tell you is we train at all the facilities. When the when the students are away from BV, we have live active shooter trainings there. We train at night in all of our schools. Uh, we are doing training currently in churches and, and for church people uh, in our areas. We're starting to see that trend pick up with, with church-related shootings. Uh, so we, we train on entries. We train for all of our officers. Uh, we don't wait for tactical teams. They're all trained as what we call rapid response teams. If we, if they call out active shooter protocol, they start calling for assistance. They start dispatching fire. They start setting it. It's all automated uh, w- with no questions asked to, to streamline the process because we know that in every one of these situations, I don't care if it's the NYPD with 30,000 cops or Storm Lake with 19, there's chaos. And so you have to control the chaos and be as efficient as as possible with the resources that you have available. And we train for that uh, year-round.
4: Prosser mentions the amount of training law enforcement goes through for handling these situations. Training has become prevalent with the rise in school shootings happening over the country, even in small-town Storm Lake, where this has never happened before. But how is law enforcement able to structure their training without any type of information from past shootings to help manage future ones? In 2002, Texas State University, along with the San Marcos, Texas Police Department and the Hayes County, Texas Sheriff's Office, created the Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training, known as ALERT. They conduct research based on shootings which have happened, allowing law enforcement to have knowledge on how to respond, preventative measures to take, what to do, etc., if a scenario they train for were to happen. This database has helped law enforcement shape their way of training and know what to do in a difficult situation, such as a school shooting. There are core factors which come into play in these training scenarios. Rush to the scene, find and apprehend the shooter, and get everyone to safety. We wondered if this was the tactic law enforcement has always used. While researching, we found there was a major shift in police response to handling mass shootings. This change was brought about after what happened on April twentieth, nineteen 1999 the Columbine High School shooting. It took law enforcers over 47 minutes to enter the high school after the shooting had taken place. It only took 12 minutes for the shooting to happen. By this time, those 12 students were already dead, and the 20 or more were suffering from their injuries. The two gunmen had already committed suicide. This raised a lot of controversy for the response in law enforcement, which led to changes in policies.
0: Well, Columbine, we learned to study the shootings more. And yes, Columbine is the line drawn in the sand where law enforcement shifted its strategies. Pre-Columbine, law enforcement was trained to set up a perimeter, block off everything on the outside and kind of wait it out. But they realized when they did that in Columbine, people were being killed while the cops were standing outside. Kind of the conversation that's going on right now about the Florida shooting. The first officers, one, two, or three that arrived there are now equipped and equipped differently To go in, pass the wounded, pass those that are in need of medical assistance, and do one thing, find and then the threat. That's our training now, because we've learned time and time again that while we're dealing with the wounded, while we're setting up perimeters outside, people are still getting injured on the inside.
4: We wanted to know if the mindset of the shooter might affect police response or if it is something they consider.
0: All Iowa officers have to go through dealing with mental health scenarios, uh, options, uh, what what they can do in certain situations, de-escalation, dealing with the mentally ill.
4: This type of training he mentions is similar to a program used throughout the nation. In 1988, the Crisis Intervention Team, known as CIT, was created for the lack of training law enforcers had with mental health patients if they run into problems with the law. According to the CIT website, it is an innovative first responder model of police-based crisis intervention training to help persons with mental disorders and/or addictions access medical treatment rather than place them in the criminal justice system due to illness-related behaviors. All 50 states do have this program in effect in some shape or form. Now looking at the other side of the argument, mental health facilities have been declining more frequently in the country. Storm Lake is no exception.
0: It over the last few years, their mental health cases have just skyrocketed. Harm themselves uh, dealing with behavioral issues, variety of things, and just not at the high school. Middle school, we've carried kids screaming out of the elementary schools. Uh, It's at all levels.
4: Prosser made it clear not everyone dealing with behavioral issues is out to hurt others.
0: I think reasonable people will take a step back from this and not say it's all guns and it's all mental illness. You know We can protect our Second Amendment rights, and I think people do have the right to go hunting and things like that, but I don't believe the Second Amendment was ever created for all the weapons we have on the, on the shelves now. And, and so this type of scenario, I don't think you can pigeonhole that it's mental health or it's weapons.
4: It's all of it. It's a combination of it. There has been a rise in demand for treatment dealing with mental health cases. And mental health is one approach to solving the gun issue, but it's not the only proposed solution.
0: My immediate knee-jerk response is that's ridiculous. And, And the biggest reason is we're never going to give our teachers enough training to use the weapons appropriately. The second biggest reason is the odds of an active shooter occurring in a school, if you think about all the schools across the country, are very, very small. So if you have that weapon in there, the odds are going to become much higher that an accident could happen. The locations of active shooters are pretty much equally shared amongst urban, suburban, and rural. I mean, they're kind of they're, they're not all in a big city or they're not all in a rural setting. And you know, the teachers need to focus on education. I think that's why they go to school and, and, and go to get their education. They shouldn't have to worry about um, carrying a weapon, uh, they should be, their, their organization should be working closely with local law enforcement and public safety to work on those plans, fortifying the school, what are the policies of protection if something happens.
4: Prosser isn't the only law enforcement officer who felt that arming teachers was a less than ideal solution. Richard Reiner, a criminology professor at Buena Vista University and retired law enforcement officer, had similar thoughts.
5: as a parent, I would say that's a terrible idea. As a law enforcement officer, I would say that's a terrible idea. I've been to active shooter school. I've done the scenarios where there is someone in in a school shooting kids. What do you do? First of all, I cannot think of one person who is a teacher, and I know several, who signed up to carry a gun in their school. That is not in their wheelhouse. Can you imagine the psychological damage you're going to do to a teacher who is armed and thinks, oh, yes, I can handle this, and then the shooter happens to be one of their students? That is not something that they're equipped to handle.
4: Reiner wanted to explain the broader picture of gun violence that we are exposed to through the media.
5: One thing that people may not realize is, contrary to what you may be hearing in the press or in popular culture or the media, gun violence itself is... Not a common phenomenon. It is one of, I don't want to say it's the, the most rare, but the most common t- types of violence are like hands and, you know, getting in fights and, and things like that. Gun violence is not as prevalent as most people might think it is. What gets people's attention are uh, incidences like Sandy Hook in Las Vegas and Aurora, Colorado, now in, uh, in Florida, where guns are used to commit horrific instances of violence resulting in mass casualties.
4: A hunter, a law enforcement officer, and a native of Texas, Reiner had clear opinions about gun control, but they may not be what you would expect.
5: With regard to gun control as an issue, in the interest of fair disclosure, I have lots of guns. I'm from Texas, I've lived in Texas and Arkansas. I enjoy shooting sports, I enjoy hunting, but I'm just really terrible at it. I am not what you would call necessarily a gun control advocate. I do like to consider myself objective in the manner. Something has to be done. The problem is what? I have kids in public schools. The thought that someone might walk into the elementary school where my son is or the high school where my daughter is with a firearm absolutely scares me to death. So I'm not going to sit here and say, well, no, doing nothing is the way to go.
4: One of the biggest debates going on with this topic for change is to regulate more on how people buy guns. We started to think, if obtaining a gun is not that easy, what are the requirements? After the assassination of John F. Kennedy, the Gun Control Act of 1968 restricted who could buy firearms. Those restricted include convicted felons, fugitives, addicts, and anyone diagnosed with a mental illness. Having looked at the ATF form required to purchase a gun, it appears to be largely self-reporting.
5: Now, supposedly, and I say supposedly because we have a system in place and it's been in place for several years, what's been called into question is how effective it is. Anytime someone wants to purchase a firearm, they fill out a form, it's called a yellow sheet because it's a yellow sheet, very imaginative name, but it asks several different questions. One of those questions that is on the yellow sheet is, have you ever been adjudicated as being mentally defective or is there a court order restricting you from purchasing a firearm? Well, the problem is, is that not everyone answers truthfully. And so when they do the background check, they're looking specifically for criminal instances and whether or not there is something on that person's criminal record that would preclude them from buying a firearm. It has not been linked to medical records because there's all sorts of privacy laws that go along with medical records, which means that not every you know Tom, Dick, and Harry with a Class Three fi- federal firearms license has access to someone's medical records that might show that they have a diagnosis that would preclude them from buying a firearm. So they asked the question, and in theory, the statute does bar them. Unfortunately, it's a statute that's nearly impossible to enforce.
4: Reiner raises an interesting question about whether or not it would be useful to create a loophole in the regulations that would permit the government to view medical details of the people who apply for gun permits. We heard from Prosser there was training for dealing with someone who is going through mental health crisis, but this hasn't always been the case.
5: There was not a lot of training. I've, I've been out of law enforcement for a few years, and so hopefully it has changed. While I was in law enforcement, actually funding was cut for mental health services. Um, We did have a hospital that was local, had an entire floor dedicated to just people with mental health issues, and they had to shut it down because the state no longer funded it. What that did was put a lot of pressure on us, being law enforcement, to deal with people who are experiencing some mental health crisis that we were not prepared for. And the only place to take those people was to jail. And they didn't necessarily need jail, they needed treatment, but there's no treatment available. And their actions, while their level of culpability could have been called into question, their actions did constitute a
1: crime. So we had to arrest them and take them to jail. More of this report on gun violence issues prepared by Buna Vista University students when the Iowa Watch Connection continues. This month, Iowa Watch is supporting the value Iowa High School journalism classes provide students, their schools, their communities, and the state. Journalism classes help students understand society, find facts, think critically, and inform others with high quality writing, photos, video, and broadcast skills. Learn more from the Iowa High School Press Association at its website, IHSPA.org.
3: The Iowa Watch Connection Radio Program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, non-profit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org.
1: Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. More now of a program prepared by Sarah Nicholson, Kimberly Diaz, and Dee Friesen, students at Buena Vista University, It originally aired on student radio station KBVU and as a podcast, examining the issues of gun violence in schools. It's called Under the Gun.
2: My name is Dr. Nadine Connell. I'm an associate professor of criminology at the University of Texas at Dallas. I am the director for the Center of Crime and Justice Studies, and I am a school violence researcher.
4: Dr. Connell is currently in the process of compiling a database of all known school shootings that have occurred since 1990. The project was funded by the National Institute of Justice with hopes of trying to develop a database that may offer insight into what makes up a school shooter and if there's a way to prevent future incidents. Connell has found some interesting anomalies in regards to the 300 cases they currently have.
2: There was a media account that said there had been over 200 school shootings since the shooting in newtown connecticut sandy hook shooting it was odd to me that it suddenly seemed out of nowhere people were commenting on how common this event had become because in my own research and in my own um, interactions with colleagues i had not seen anything to that effect so we did a class project and we looked at it in more detail so we started finding out that um Many of the events that were deemed school shootings were shootings that happened at a school, which is a very different thing, I think, in the public awareness than school shootings. Last year in San Bernardino, California, there was a teacher. She was shot. Her students were shot because her estranged husband followed her to her workplace and shot her. That's not a school shooting. We don't prevent that the same way as we do what happened at Sandy Hook, what happened at Columbine, and, of course, what happened at Parkland. There appear to be about four main typologies of school shootings. One is, of course, the classic rampage shooting. Those seem to be one of the least common types. There are actually a lot of shootings that happen on school that are adult perpetrated. By that, I mean somebody who doesn't belong at the school, who's over 18, who legally has access to a firearm, um, and for no good reason should be at the school. Uh, And then we actually found a subset of shootings that were student perpetrated, but they actually were suicide. And I think that is a piece of the conversation that gets left out, that students who break into the school in the middle of the night and and shoot themselves. So that's a very different problem for a school to deal with. And then the fourth is what we call community violence. And this is the one I think we're interested in because it has applications beyond the school. And this is probably the most broad because it seems to cover everything from gang disputes that happen on school property to fights at basketball and extracurricular activities and football games. So if there's a shooting, it may happen on school grounds because the football field is attached to the school, but it may not be because of anything that has to do with the school. What we're taking from this right now is we can't say that because a gun has gone off, on a school property that it was a school shooting. We really have to better understand these incidents so that we can figure out the best strategies because there's more than one. Everyone's talking as if there's only one solution and there are a lot of solutions.
4: In your research, have you found links to mass shootings and mental health issues?
2: I think there are two things that we have to think about with mental health. One is the uh, issue with suicide, as I mentioned. Uh, many times when we are seeing shootings at school, it is adolescent students who are suffering from a mental health issue that is self-harming. We talk about shootings and mental health from the perspective of outward harm, but in fact our data suggests that there is a significant portion of students who are harming themselves and have no intention of harming others, that is a mental health issue that we can address within schools. And I think that piece is, is more common right now. And I, I want to really stress that the number of people involved is so low, it's really hard to make predictive connections. Most people who have these things wrong with them do not hurt people. But there is a small subsection of rampage shooters, school shooters, who appear to have certain psychological disorders. And they seem to fall under the, we wouldn't call it schizophrenic because they're under 18, but schizophrenic type of disorders. Because many of them did die during the shooting or making these diagnoses based on looking back. And so, and talking to friends and talking to family. So many of them do not have a record and official diagnosis, but we think that they may have suffered. But some do. So there does appear to be a <sighs> profile is such a strong word, but a profile of certain characteristics that we think may be more likely for rampage shooters
1: segments of a radio report and podcast produced by Sarah Nicholson, Kimberly Diaz, and Dee Friesen, students at Buena Vista University, working with faculty member Andrea Franz. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. I'm Jeff Stein, thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch connection again next week.